It is literally Thanksgiving Day when this episode drops in the U.S., so happy Thanksgiving to all my U.S. listener friends. This is Lou Blazer, and you're listening to Second Breaks, where we explore what it actually takes to make midlife the best, most awesome phase of our lives. So like I said, it's Thanksgiving holiday, and so of course, it's traditional to be talking about gratitude and being thankful about hashtag all the things uh, during this time of the year. Uh, it's a bit of a cliche, I realize that, but I am not about to buck the trend on this episode. Cliche be damned. Now, I actually interviewed my guest today, Nancy Davis Go. Uh, Nancy is the author of The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. I interviewed Nancy months ago before I left for my temporary relocation to Asia. And since the main topic of our conversation was about gratitude and her year-long project of writing weekly thank you letters, I thought... You know, it was best to release that conversation closer to the Thanksgiving holiday. But as it happens, sometimes life creates its own timetable of things. And I find myself thinking about gratitude more and more these days in a way that's got nothing to do with the holidays. As I've shared before in the podcast, I decided to relocate to Asia for the time being to be with my mom who has mild dementia. I wanted to be with her for as long as I can. And I also wanted to share the load of caring for her with my sister. You know, she's been doing the lion's share of the work for years now. So I left the States right around when the Delta variant of the COVID-19 virus, when it was making its first ruckus around the world. So traveling was such a pain with all kinds of restrictions and requirements and multiple jabs up the nose and mandatory quarantine days. But in the end, I was so grateful to have made my way here to the other side of the world to be with mom. And, you know, she didn't recognize me at first, but after a couple of days of seeing my face every day and hearing my voice, she finally remembered who I was and that I was her crazy, long-lost youngest child. And then my sister, you know, my sister, she's worked so hard to make my stay here as comfortable as possible. She had the spare bedroom remodeled to create like a home office space so I can podcast, she said. And so now I have like this like little self-contained studio-like apartment, uh, which I can call my own. And mom's healthy and Outside of her dementia, she's healthy. Everybody's fully vaccinated and we're all healthy. And the internet speed is fast. <laughs> no kidding. This was what I was worried about before I got here. So the internet is fast. I can Zoom and Skype away. I have access to Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple TV, like all the things that matter. <laughs> so I am all set. Clearly, there is much, much, much to be thankful for. And so this episode today with Nancy, I thought it's just the perfect conversation to be sharing with you. Nancy and I talked about her year-long project of writing one thank you letter a week. She did this the year she turned 50. And so that entire year, 
She literally picked one person a week to write a letter to about how this person made an impact on her. We talked about the process and some tactical considerations, just in case you were thinking of doing something similar. Nancy shared how this project profoundly and permanently changed the way that she views the world around her and why she encourages all of us to try it, even though, you know, we might not do it the same scale as her project, but she encourages us to try it as well for all the benefits that she, you know, experienced and gained herself. Now, in addition to having authored the book, The Thank You Project, Nancy is also a speaker and the host of the award-winning podcast, Midlife Mixtape. And I love the tagline of this podcast, for the years between being hip and breaking one. Uh, she and I also talked about how the many, many conversations that she's had on the show with other midlifers, how those conversations have influenced and continue to influence, actually, uh, her midlife journey. And so anyway, this is such a fantastic conversation with loads of ideas for you to take away and incorporate in your own midlife journey. And so my friend, let me step out of the way. Meet Nancy Davis Co. So like, I was turning 50 and I felt like things were going really well. You know, my husband and I had been married a long time. My parents were around. My kids were doing well. And I just think by the time you hit that number, you have either yourself gone through some rough patches or you've seen friends and family do that. So that you you should know by the time you're 50 that if everything's going well, don't take it for granted, right? Don't assume it's going to be like that forever. And so I was just thinking about how I wanted to mark that year, which felt like kind of a big, feels, feels like a big deal to cross the half century mark. And I thought, well, I didn't get here on my own. I am really fortunate, but it's par- in large part because I've been helped along the way by various people. So this year I'm just going to take every week I'm going to write one letter to someone who has helped, shaped, or inspired me over the last 50 years. And that was that was it. Helped, shaped, inspired. And I started the January, that was 2016. So January 2016, I made a list of family, close friends, and I was turning 50. So I thought, okay, 50 letters. And I got to about 23 names. And I thought, I don't even know if I know 50 people, but the the phrase I always take from my 23-year-old daughter, which I love, she taught me this phrase, that sounds like a problem for future me, she'll be older and wiser. So I thought, you know, future me, it'll be, if I'm doing one letter a week, it won't be till June that I run out of people to write to, so fine. So that was it. I really didn't have a lot of, I certainly didn't intend to rewire my brain or become a more positive person or anything. I was just going to write one letter a week, and that felt doable. So did you, this might sound like a funny question, but did you actually intend to write and send the letters or just write as in write in a journal why I'm thankful for this person? No, I wanted to send the letters. I, you know, because when I made that list of names, those were all people that I'm in close contact with. Those are people who I really am grateful to, my parents, Uh my best friends. So there was no reason I wasn't going to not send the letters. What was interesting so what happened was I would spend, a, you know, a week and, and I used, I had a routine where I would did it Friday afternoon after work before the weekend. And it was kind of how I transitioned into my weekend. And I knew that every Friday I was going to have to write a letter to somebody. So I had, would look at the next name on the list and I would spend a whole week just thinking about what specifically have I learned from this person? What good advice have they given me? When did they help me? How am I different because I know them? 
And what I didn't realize I was doing, but learned in the in writing the book, I had said to the publisher, I want to understand why every time I finished a letter, I felt better. I would feel my shoulders sink. I would feel this sensation of warmth in my chest that I came to learn is called elevation. I would you know, feel my breathing rate kind of slow down. And it turns out there's tons of science on the links between gratitude and happiness, gratitude and better physical health, uh, better physical health, better sleeping, better Mm -hmm. asthma control, you know, lower blood pressure. So it's almost like our bodies are really optimized to work from a state of gratitude. We really do better when we take the time to acknowledge the good things around us. But I didn't know that. when I, I, That certainly wasn't my goal when I started the letters. I just would think, okay, uh, this week I'm going to think about my friend Kathy, my, my college roommate. Kathy was my roommate for two years of college, and she had the most impeccable music taste. I think I have good music taste, but that's because I learned from her. And she had great accessories that she always lent to me, and she you know, rode along with me on all the ups and downs of dating in college and classes in college. And she was just a really steady friend. And we've maintained that friendship for 30 years. And all week long, I would think about these stories and these memories. And I didn't realize it. But what I was doing was rewiring my brain to be more efficient at looking for the good things around me. Mm. So what the scientists say is the neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you spend some quality time every week, just thinking about the good things in your life, your brain gets faster at doing that. So you asked about whether I was going to send all the letters, and I certainly did send all the first batch. But by the time I got to the end of that first list, my brain had gotten much more discerning about saying, no, there's good things in lots of situations. So that's when I started to think, I get that really good feeling from writing the letters in the process of writing them, not in the reaction. The reaction's a cherry on top. It was wonderful in some situations. I mean, my dad was really funny. He called me and he's like, oh, I framed the letter. I hung it over my desk, which is such a dad thing to do. I love that. Um, And then I would have friends who would just text me and say, oh, I got, you know, I got your letter. And it meant, you know, just little short notes or something like that. So people had different sizes of reactions. But and I loved hearing that. But it wasn't the thing that really gave me the magic. It was the writing of the letters. So I was like, wait a minute, I could write to people I'm not in touch with on purpose because they taught me through negative example or, you know, an ex-boyfriend or a terrible boss or somebody who had had a really, you know, going back to those three words, helped, shaped, inspired, that happens in negative ways too. Mm -hmm. And so then I started writing letters to a batch of people who I didn't send letters I didn't send their letters to them. I, you know, I I felt great writing them because in a lot of situations, it was a case where I could look back at something that at the time felt like a failure or felt like a hard circumstance. And I could look at it from the perspective of being 50 and say, wow, I learned a ton of useful lessons in that bad circumstance. And then, and so that was a very powerful way to get some midlife perspective, I think, you know, kind of patting yourself on the back and saying, I've come through some dark times, but I learned from it and I'm still here. And then beyond that, I was like, well, wait a minute, I don't even have to know the person. So that's when I wrote to Jane Austen, because I love Jane Austen's book. Yeah. And, 
And I wrote to, um, I started writing to the cities that I'd lived in, because I think we're shaped by geography as much as anything. And I wrote to my hometown of Rochester, New York, and the, and I wrote to Oakland, California, where I've lived for almost 25 years. And, you know, those, the influences of the places I've lived are also part of what's helped shape and inspired me. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. So it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And in that process, it really changed the way I look at the world profoundly. I mean, I'm. I, the book came out right before the pandemic started. It came out December 2019. And I have been very grateful that no matter how awful things got last year and things got awful for all of us, I could still stop and say, okay, there is something good happening. What is it? What is the good? Oh, my grown children are home and I would not have had this extra time with them. Or, you know, I have caught up on all the TV I ever wanted to watch. That's not a bad thing. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have so many follow-ups that I have to pick which which way <laughs> I'm going to go. So I want to ask some tactical. Okay. Like, did you, were these typewritten notes they were or indeed cards and, or yeah. like so so in the book and the thing it so it came out from running press the book's available everywhere um what I say over and over is there are no thank you note police. I shared the process that worked for yeah. me. I said, you get to do what you want to do. And I also interviewed a few other people who had done something similar, just so readers would see a broad mm -hmm. array of ways to attack this. And um, I mean, the biggest thing for me is figure out what is replicable for you. And mm -hmm. for me, handwriting was not replicable. I knew that if I hand wrote my notes, I would stop after I finished wrote, I, writing my parents. Maybe my sister and brother would get a letter, but my arm would be sore after that. So I typed mine into a Word document. And every Friday, I just hit, you know, Crazy. page break, yeah. start a new one. Yeah. And that worked great for me. I mean, I spoke to one woman for the book who wrote 100 letters in 100 days. <gasps> which felt overwhelming, but she loved it. She said it was like gratitude on steroids. She was like supercharged. So I I just really, with, with the way I present it in the book, I just really want to encourage people to find a way that's sustainable and replicable so they don't give up. Because doing this and making it a habit that fits into the way you move through the world, I think is just a really powerful way to build resilience, build connection. And I even say, if you never put a pen to put pen to paper, even if you're just thinking, like pick one person and just think about those things, how have they helped you? You're still doing that rewiring work for your brain. So I'm, as you can tell, I'm like, everybody come into the pool. Yes, it's yeah, fine. Let's go do this. Um, <laughs> when you send them to people. So, I mean, it's one thing to send them to family. They probably know that you're doing this. But when you started sending them to friends who maybe you're not necessarily talking to every day, did you explain why am I doing? What am I doing? Why are you getting this letter I, from me? I absolutely did. And I always I do a lot of workshops with folks to talk about the thank you project and also to help them get started with the first letter. And I always hear a sigh of relief when I say to everybody in the room, you can just cut, cut and paste the first paragraph over and over and over. Because what I did for the per first paragraph was say, I'm celebrating a big birthday. It's made me think about people who have helped me in my life, and you are one of them. Nice. Something along those lines. Because mm -hmm. I didn't want them to open the letter and think, like, is she dying? Why would she write me this <laughs> long letter? So I always say to people, like, it's okay to give them a little, a little background of what you're doing. Um, but I will also say that there was a woman who I spoke to, who I talk about in the book, 
who didn't tell anybody that this was part of a larger project. And the reason was she didn't want people comparing notes. So she didn't want this cousin saying to that cousin, well, did you get a letter from Lori? And no, there was no letter. So it's something to think about. And that's why I included it there. Because depending, in my case, I didn't care. Who knew writing a book about it made it awkward. Because at book signings, I've had people bum rush the table and say, where's my letter? And I'm like, <laughs> that energy is why you didn't get one. Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> Just saying. I mean, <laughs> did you have to say? Okay, so I'm. I'm gonna. Ask, this question is coming from the person, from someone who, if I had received a letter like that, first of all, I would have been so overwhelmed, and also feel the, you know, the gratitude back, like mm-hmm. the the reciprocal feeling of uh, whatever that feeling is that I'm getting. I'm probably going to feel the same way. But, and I don't know if you're familiar with the Enneagram types, but I'm an Enneagram type five. And one of the hallmarks of a type five is that we get, sometimes we get overwhelmed by the perceived demand of energy from us by Mm. other people. And so if I were to, I'm just imagining if I were to receive a letter like that from someone else, I would be thinking, oh my God, do I have to write back? something similar or did you have to did you have to say there's no need to respond there's no need to some expectation um that's such a good question and also i was going to say my superpowers i can never remember my myers-briggs type or my enneagram (laughs) and like i i I know my horoscope and that is it my taurus but um I, that's such a good question. I don't think anyone's ever asked that of me. I certainly did not intend to make anybody feel an obligation. And I did not write anything that was like, what do you think? You know, um, I really tried to make it a complete artifact on its own. Mm -hmm. And I did not, I, so, you know, I had a couple of arbitrary rules, one page only. I didn't want to go on and on. I wanted to like really get specific and kind it of, wasn't going to be Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> exactly. And the second thing was that I was not allowed to have an expectation of a response. I could mm-hmm. not feel disappointed in anybody because nobody had asked me to write one of these letters. And in fact, I was, I did get a few letters back and those were surprising to me. Like I didn't, I really didn't expect that. And, and the people who wrote them, I really didn't, like I wrote a thank you letter to my obstetrician who had delivered my two daughters and I'd never really thanked her for that. And if you think about people who have helped shaped and inspired you as a mom, my goodness, like if she hadn't done her job so well. So I wrote her thank you and she wrote me back and that woman has delivered like 17,000 children in San Francisco. No, I'm not even exaggerating. That's the number. So, but it told me that she doesn't often hear from, I mean, she said so in the note, she rarely hears from her patients about this, about this, and it's huge. So, um, I mean, I, like I said, I hope nobody felt that way. I can't say, I mean, maybe there were people who were like, oh my God, now I have to do a thing. But I didn't, (laughs) in terms of the volume of letters I got back, I would say not many people suffered under that I, yes. didn't get a lot, I didn't get a yeah. ton of notes back. And that was fine. That was right. totally appropriate. Right. Um, I love also when you were saying that it's not the response. Because I know that sometimes when we do something, uh, you know, you send an email to anyone. It doesn't have to be that kind of an email. But, like, you're, you're kind of expecting some kind of a response, right? And I think in, in a project like this is very important that the focus is on my own process as opposed to what I'm going to get back. That's right. I mean, your job is to write the letter, express the gratitude, 
send it if you feel comfortable sending it and again there may be cases where you don't and that's fine Mm -hmm. but i really encourage sending um, because there's some research that shows that people tend to overestimate how awkward they're going to feel in sending it and they underestimate the impact on the recipient so there's lots of gratitude practices. That sounds like me. <laughs> yeah, it, a little bit. I didn't want to say so, Lou, but a little bit it does. They actually had your picture on the yes, study. exactly. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, there's lots of gratitude practices. I know people keep journals, and the, and the, the one that I use still all the time is just stop and think of three good things in your life right now. And you can do that when you're falling mm. asleep at night or when you're feeling anxious during the day. It's like instant gratification it works really well but what I like about the gratitude letters is it's a twofer because you make yourself feel better writing it and especially now when we've all been so isolated I know we're getting to come back together now but you know we've been isolated we feel distance from one another to get a letter out of the blue that says why you matter and why you've made a difference in someone's life I don't care that whether it's 2021 or 2017 or 2025 You'd be happy to get that letter. You would feel so happy to know that you are connected to somebody else. So I think there's kind of a a two-for-one value to a gratitude Mm -hmm. letter that that people sometimes overlook. I know one of the things that I always read about when people are, you know, suggesting uh, how to start any kind of a gratitude sort of practice is to be... Uh, specific about what you are being grateful for. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to say, well, I'm grateful for my family, but what is it exactly about your mom or uh, your dad or whatever, whoever it is, right? Did you feel, and again, I'm asking this, <laughs> asking for me, my, my Asking my, for my a person whose name starts with Rue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but did you feel like you talked about how it got easier in towards after a while, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in the beginning, was it hard to identify the specifics, to remember the specifics? Well, I think it always is helpful here. And I encourage when I do when I do talks about this, I always encourage people start with the easy people start with the people <laughs> where you're kind of overflowing with gratitude, because people will always raise the hand and in the presentation say, Well, I have a sister in law who I like, but sometimes she does this. I'm like, put her at the end of the list. You don't need to start with her. Start with the people where you really truly feel grateful. And maybe you even have so many reasons you you don't even know. And I, to your point about saying you're, you know, something like you're really nice or you're really fun. I think that the challenge and it's kind of a fun challenge is, you know, in the specifics is what specifically do they bring to you and how does it manifest in your life? I had a high school friend who just she's unbelievably funny but her gift was she knew how to deploy it when I was having a bad day you like she could see something was off she would make me laugh it would turn things around then I could go on with my day as a high school sophomore or junior whatever and that's more specific and it lets you kind of I think value it in a deeper way than you're funny yes you know and it lets (laughs) them know that they're that they've got that gift. Yes. So I think that to think about it in terms of what specifically do they do and how that specifically changed you. And maybe you start at the end point on that spectrum. Mm. How, how, what is something in your life that they've influenced? So, oh my goodness. 
I know I'm going to be listening to this episode over and over for my own purposes because I I have been wanting to do something like this. And I do every day do like the first thing I do every day, I I start this, I call it 10 things list. And the Mm -hmm. very first thing there is grateful for. And I have a, sometimes I'm like, I, I, I'm staring at the wall and I'm like, okay. It doesn't have to be big. It it can just be like you've got pajamas on that you like (laughs) and you know the coffee is already set and you don't have to make. I mean, it can be tiny, but it's still doing the same thing. Also, I want to mention this, Lou, just to, uh, to Lou and to anybody else who might be hesitating a little bit. So I mentioned that my dad, I wrote the letter to my dad and he framed it and my dad was 81 at the time. And, you know, it was so I was like not even surprised that he framed it and put it over his desk. Of course he did. And six months later, I was sitting at the desk looking at the letter and I was writing my dad's eulogy because oh, he had he had been diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. stage four. Nobody knew he had it and he was mm-hmm. gone six weeks later. Oh my goodness. And to know that my dad had not just read that letter, but kind of sat and stared at that letter and understood exactly why I was grateful to him, how much I loved him, why I loved him, was a huge comfort during mm. a very difficult time. And I think there were other amazing gifts I got from writing my letters but that was the biggest one was just knowing that my dad knew how I felt about him and had time to absorb it before the end of his life and my mom had dementia so my mom passed away about um six months ago but you know when I wrote to her in 2016 again she was at a point where she was her capacity was a little bit diminished but no nowhere near where it got mm-hmm. and so i'm glad i didn't wait to write that one either because right. i knew she could still absorb back then she could still read and understand and so i think people in our stage of life don't sleep on it you know if you want to tell people you're grateful for them go ahead and do it don't don't wait We're going to get back to Nancy shortly. I just wanted to quickly mention that this podcast is made possible by Midlife Cues. Now, Midlife Cues is a weekly publication for midlifers who want to amp up their midlife years. Each Sunday issue covers a specific topic of relevance to us folks who self-identify as a midlifer, including health and well-being, pivots and reinventions, unretirement, redefining aging, and just generally getting bolder in our midlife. You can check it out and give it a spin. Head on over to midlifecues.com to subscribe for free. How, how did the book project happen then? So you, you did that for a year. You sent the letter or most of the letters out and some didn't get sent for obvious reasons. But then, then the book happened. Right. Well, uh, I finished 50 letters and I'm like, well done with that, you know, (laughs) on to the next thing. And then I started my podcast in 2017. And throughout that year, I had various friends and acquaintances say, I heard you wrote these letters. How did you do it? Who did you write to? What, What did you decide to do? And I had started the podcast. I actually have, I've been writing for 15 years and I have two other books that I'd written and that didn't get, they got representation, but they never got published. Mm -hmm. And so in starting the podcast, it was out of a little bit of sorrow. I thought, I'm not a writer. Maybe I'm a podcaster, I'll find out. Mm -hmm. But I don't think I'm a writer anymore, because I can't, I couldn't sell these two books. 
And so lo and behold, that year, people kept asking me, and I'm like, you know what, I could just, I'm I'm not really a writer anymore, I think I might not be, so I'm just going to pretend to put together a book proposal of what I would tell people about the Thank You Project, and that's just going to be for my own edification. Fast forward, I had multiple offers for representation, multiple offers for publishing, and all of a sudden I was 2018, I had the book contract, I had to write it on a really quick turnaround. So just, you know, I anybody who's in the second half of their life will know some stuff that looks like it's terrible news or failure on one level, give it a little time because you don't know, it might have been an important stepping stone. And I'm certain that I got my book contract because I had a podcast audience. Ah, They knew I was going to be able to get the message out about the book. How long did it take you to write the book? 10 weeks, which is kind of but I knew what I was going to write. And the book is not a collection of my letters, just so mm-hmm. you know, you guys don't care who I wrote to. But I knew exactly what I wanted to say. I had done the project. I knew what worked, what didn't work. I knew the only thing that was really time consuming was that I wanted all that research in there. So it was a pretty crazy 10 weeks because I was reading studies from dawn till dusk. But um I was so motivated and I work, I have a full, I have a job. So I just got up every day at five and wrote until work started. And it was the best part of my day. I loved, I I loved writing my book. I hope that's okay to say. I really had fun writing it. (laughs) And the one, if you haven't seen it, you may not know that every chapter has a playlist because I do, I have a podcast called Midlife Mixtape. I'm a Gen Xer. I love to put a good playlist together. So I did say to my editor, please, 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 can I put together (laughs) a playlist for every chapter because the way the book's divided up, I, 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 the first part of the book is all about how to write the letters. Here's writing prompts. Here's how you can structure it and so on. Mm-hmm. But then the whole rest of the book is here's the kinds of people you might want to write to have you, you know, and I just try to be as, you know, give as many ideas as possible. So people will think really broadly about who in their life they could be thankful to. And with my hope, my hope is obviously that people write the letters. But I think if you even just read it and think about who those people might be in your life, you also get some of the benefit. Mm. But, you know, like I had the friends and family playlist, and I had the, <laughs> you know, the the uh, loves lost playlist. And yeah, that was fun to do. Too. Well, I was actually curious, because I know the title of your podcast is Midlife Mixtape. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know whether in the beginning it had to do with the Thank You Project. No, because I started blogging at Midlife Mixtape. Remember blogs? Uh, I started back in the Conestoga wagon days of blogging (laughs) in 2011. Because, yeah, I'm I'm 10 years this year. So the blog has been Midlife Mixtape all along. And then the podcast was just kind of a companion a companion platform, if you will. Got it. So even mm-hmm. though the, the podcast started in 2017, actually there is a blog that preceded that's right. that that's been Midlife Mixtape. You can along. go back yeah. and read about when my kids were tiny girls in my house, <laughs> these big grown-ups and, you know, yeah. So this is the other thing that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, Nancy, because I know that you've been, you, you know, you have hundreds of conversations already on Midlife Mixtape. And I was wondering whether... Through all these conversations, like if you've have they helped you with your own midlife journey, and how has has it helped you? So they've helped so much. And first, Lou, we've got to t- tell them what the tagline is that you. Oh like, yes! Oh, I love your tagline. It says, "Let me see." For the years between being hip 
and breaking one. <laughs> yes. I and I always say, tagline. if you don't laugh at that tagline, you're not going to, there's nothing for you on my show. Yes. You won't laugh. It's not for you. <laughs> right. It's self-selecting. Um, that's, uh, I. Uh, the answer to your question is yes. I mean, the reason I started it is because um, I felt like I had not, and again, I, this was back in 2017, and this, the landscape has changed a little bit now, but back then there was not a lot being said about Gen Xers at midlife. Yes. And we are especially Gen X women at midlife. I don't know, were we of, were we denying that we were in midlife? <laughs> well, for, we're not joiners. Gen X doesn't, Gen X is like sitting back going, I'm not a member of anything. So that's a bit of a problem. Um, but I do think there is more generational pride as we see the, gen, I don't want to, and I have boomer listeners and I have a lot of millennial mm-hmm. listeners, which I love because I want the millennials to have a preview of what's to come. But the really the impetus for starting it is that I did not feel like I was in crisis. There were hard things. Mm -hmm. I mean, my dad had just died, but, and there were, you know, and I was about to have an empty net or my older kid was leaving. There's super hard things about being in midlife, but there's some great things about being in midlife too, with more experience, more wisdom, more money in the bank sometimes, which gives you more options. Mm -hmm. And, and even if you don't have money in the bank, you probably have a bigger network. So when you lose a job, you you know, so there's a lot of really beautiful things about being in the years between being hip and breaking one. And I didn't feel like anybody was given that any airtime. So I just invited people on and I cast the net as wide as I can because I am a cisgender white lady, uh, you know, upper upper middle class cisgender white lady. I don't want to hear my story. I want to hear everybody's story. <laughs> so I have had just a plethora of guests from all different fields and persuasions. And I just say to them, what do you like about being in this phase of life? Mm. What do you do better? What are you more efficient at? And we talk about the hard parts too. Every yes. episode starts with the same question, which is, what was your first concert? Because I think that's very important. Um, so that kind of gets us, which I'll tell you, when I had an epidemiologist and a financial planner on, they were not prepared for that. But um, <laughs> I don't care. I still want to know. Don't get asked that about COVID very often, said the epidemiologist. Um but I just think it's really, int- I, my goal is to just remind Gen Xers that we're doing cool things and that changes are, st- there's still so much ahead of us. Yeah. Um, and I love those stories where people talk about what they're going to do next, you know. And I, my my guest this week is such a good example. She, uh, Michelle Fishburne, who um, is writing a book called Who We Are Now. She, Ooh, in January 20- like that title. Yeah, it's cool. She yeah. became an accidental oral historian during the pandemic because she lost her job, she lost her lease, and her youngest kid left for college, so she had an empty nest. And she mm-hmm. was like, what am I going to do? I know I'll get into my motorhome. She still had a motorhome. And she has traveled 12,000 miles around the country and just interviewed people. What's your life like during the pandemic? Mm-hmm. And captured those stories and shared them on a website. And now that's a book deal. And she's like, oh, my God, I didn't realize I love storytelling. I love asking people questions and hearing their story and shaping it for them. So it's it's like, if you think humans of New York, she's like Americans of the pandemic. <laughs> and um, I love stories like that, because on the surface, that's terrible. She lost her job or mm-hmm. home and had an empty nest. And she's like, I've never been happier. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's good. So 
that's I don't even remember the question now I'm just talking about the no, podcast no, no. but no, this is great <laughs> this is awesome because that's really what I wanted to hear from you is that sort of like your reflections on these because hundreds of stories from you know people in our generation and older about what they're going through and I I can't help but imagine how these stories have impacted you too in terms of how you view your own midlife and your own journey I don't know if anything was surprising for you well I think the story that gets told over and over again is how much less unsettled we are by change because we have seen change we have endured Mm -hmm. change and so even during the pandemic i think gen x could look at a lot of different points in their past and say yeah this is bad but that was bad too and i survived that and it's one of the things that i think we do a disservice when we don't tell the gens do we we call gen z now our Mm -hmm. our kids generation Mm You know, I think one of the messages that doesn't get to them often enough is things will change. You mm. can go to college and become a, hist- a history professor or a engineer or, uh, you know, whatever it is. And then when you're 35 or 40, you might want to do something different and you can. Because I think they are under so much pressure to pick the thing that they want to do for the rest of their life. And I've talked to so many people who had a complete turnaround mm-hmm. at midlife, myself included. I was mm-hmm. in international business. Now I'm a writer. I mean, I still do the day job on the side because I got to mm-hmm. pay college tuition. But, you know, I, I found a creative side of myself in my 40s that had really been dormant. And I just think it's really important. And, and, and because of that, I don't assume this is the end either. I don't mm-hmm. assume I'm going to yes. be a writer and podcaster forever. I might find something else I like in another 10 years. I don't know, but I'll be ready if that happens. I'm not going to deny it if it happens. The mantra of Second Breaks is celebrate midlife. And I wanted to sort of throw that phrase to you and ask you, like, if you hear that phrase, celebrate midlife, what springs to mind? What springs to mind is the fact that we don't do enough sharing of our successes at midlife and the good things at midlife. I mean, it's obviously what motivates me to do the show, what's motivating you to do your show. I think that the more we can normalize a happy midlife, and again, not sugarcoating it, I'm saying there are hard things about being in the sandwich generation, but it's not all awful. And so to share like don't just focus on the negative and maybe this comes out of the thank you project too but there's some good stuff and if you can remember to appreciate that acknowledge it as it's passing i think it makes the the journey through this phase of life a little bit easier and you know just taking time i have a friend who just earned her master's degree online she's our age she's in her 50s and you know, she wasn't going to do anything about it. I'm like, are you kidding? We're having a party for you. And we threw a little surprise party because my goodness, to do that at midlife, that's awesome. And it's inspirational. And that gives other people ideas like, well, what what, what could I do? My friend, another friend who just opened her doors as a physical therapist for herself. She's always done the job, but she worked for somebody else. And now she's doing it for herself. And I'm like, let's celebrate that. You know, like uh, there's so many interesting things happening around us. Let's not take it for granted. Let's like mark mark it as it goes by. At 20, I was extremely certain of myself. I knew exactly how my life was going to play out. It didn't occur to me for one moment that it wouldn't line up exactly the way I saw it. 
Today I am much more comfortable with ambiguity and not knowing what's coming next because the 20 year old was not right. <laughs> she was right sometimes. There were some things that she got right, but a lot of it went in a completely different direction. And so I don't assume now that things are gonna unfold a certain way and I keep my knees a little bit more flexed and I don't get so freaked out if things don't go the way that I expect them to because they may turn out better. I want to thank Nancy again for joining me on the show. My friends, do check out her book, The Thank You Project, as well as her podcast, Midlife Mixtape. Now, head on over to the show notes for this episode for all the links and highlights of this episode. Secondbreaks.com is where you'll find the show notes, secondbreaks.com. Now, if you liked this episode, please share it with your friends. You spreading the word about the show is the best way to grow our community of thriving midlifers. Now, the next episode is the final one of the season. Can you believe it? We are in December already. My goodness, I honestly don't know where this year went. I hope you'll plan to join me again in a couple of weeks for the final episode of Season 7. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Cool beans.